Deloitte Private, offering audit, consulting, tax, and advisory professional services to allow private companies to address today's challenges and shape tomorrow's opportunities. Connect with us at Deloitte.com slash US slash private. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, everyone. Last week on the show, we had a look at the geothermal sector. We did a bit of an update of the status or state of the industry, but more importantly, we had a look at some of the technologies or ways of thinking about geothermal that could help it grow and play a bigger role in the energy transition. But here's the thing. Conventional geothermal, for a lot of reasons, is often thought of, even by those doing the projects, as a development effort for emerging markets financed by development banks or as a science project. Now, don't get me wrong. These are both absolutely worthy objectives and reasons for doing something. But a lot of times, you have to listen really carefully to hear the business reasons or market justification. So we thought we'd give some more airtime to this today in a part two. What's the business case for geothermal, and can it be a viable business? It's looking like at least in one key market, the answer is absolutely yes. Back in June of this year, the California Public Utilities Commission, or CPUC, put out a decision requiring an additional 11,500 megawatts of clean energy capacity to be procured by entities supplying the California grid by 2026. Now, here's the thing. The CPUC is saying 1,000 megawatts of this has to come from zero-emitting, renewable resources that have at least an 80% capacity factor. I don't know about you, but I don't know of any other technologies that fit this profile apart from geothermal. The instant demand has set off a wave of activity in the sector from incumbent geothermal developers and those hoping to utilize new geothermal generation technologies. Today on the show, we've got Paul Thompson, Vice President of Business Development at Ormat Technologies a longtime geothermal developer manufacturer with more than 3,000 megawatts of installed capacity to its name and more than 1,000 megawatts developed itself and has recently moved into solar PV, energy storage, and energy management as well. He'll tell us about what's going on in California and how Ormat and others are responding to this demand. As a reminder, BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear the full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Mark Taylor, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNF podcast. Paul, welcome. Thank you for having me. Paul, we've known each other for quite some time now. It's going on, what, 15 years or so. And Geo, apart from really Ormat, a lot of Geo has moved kind of slow in that time period. But there's been a big, big shift recently in the U.S. Can you tell us what happened? So I think, you know, it's been a really exciting time in the geothermal sector. And as you said, you know, dating back decades, we've really seen this kind of cyclical development, slowdown, development, slowdown. And in the last decade, you know, we were really focused on what's so unique about geothermal is the ancillary benefits that it provides. So geothermal development is more than just energy and renewable energy credits. It produces this thing called capacity. We're there 24 hours a day. You know, as an industry and as a policy person looking at this, we always knew that as incremental or intermittent renewables grew, you would need more baseload capacity resources like geothermal. What we didn't know is how fast it would happen. And today we are just seeing a huge demand for geothermal because it's a emission-free capacity resource. And that's just exciting. And we're seeing huge developments in California that are going to revolutionize the industry. Can you tell us specifically about that? So what happened in California? 
to make this change? So getting a little wonky, it was, you know, really a regulatory initiative, meaning we were working at the Public Utilities Commission in California, and they were doing a lot of modeling to say, how do we achieve a 100% renewable future? And they were using a, a modeling software called Resolve, and we ran that a lot. And what we were seeing is that a megawatt of geothermal replaced about three to four megawatts of solar with integrated storage. And so this really put the price and the value of geothermal into a new discussion, meaning, you know, if solar and storage are able to offer a solution at, you know, let's call it three to four cents, equivalent geothermal would be 12 cents. And we knew that we could develop projects much cheaper than that. And so that discussion was ongoing. And we saw that in the uh, integrated resource planning, which is not trying to be too wonky, but the forward looking drive, they only had about 200 megawatts of geothermal, which would kill the industry. As part of our trade association in ORMAT, we commented and we got them to recognize that they needed about 1,200 megawatts of geothermal. More excitingly, and what's just recently happened is there was an interim order that said the load serving entities in California have to procure 1,000 megawatts by 2026. And so this has put everyone on notice that let's go get these capacity resources. And we are seeing requests for proposals and we're seeing this demand for a capacity resource that has zero emissions, which is geothermal. And the unique thing about it was when they wrote this order, they said geothermal, but then they actually changed it to say, to be a little more agnostic, we want resources that have an 80% capacity factor, are weather invariant, produce electricity, and have zero on-site emissions which geothermal qualified for and is really one of the only resources that can do that. And that's what's so exciting right now. Dumb question. Are there any others? You know, I think there could be. If you look at hydro, you know, large scale hydro kind of fits that bill. It's hard to do. Maybe some biomass. But I think when it looks at responsive geothermal and I want to take a moment because I think what's, you know, when people think about geothermal, they maybe think about that middle school class they took and, you know, this concept. But geothermal has been around since the 1950s and geothermal today in 2021 is so different than geothermal projects even 20, 15 years ago. You know, it's kind of like looking at a Tesla and a 1950 Chevy. So new geothermal projects have been being developed. And what we're realizing is they're incredibly flexible. We can ramp them up and down. The California Air Resources Board, CARB, has recognized that they have zero emissions. And so they're incredibly valuable assets for investor-owned utilities, community choice aggregators, and others trying to balance a grid with solar and storage and wind and so forth. And so there's just this huge demand now to develop these projects. So explain that to our listeners who might not know the size of the geothermal sector in the U.S. and what this actually means for this industry. How will this impact this industry? I think we have about 3,000 megawatts today operating in the United States. So this would increase it by a third, another 1,000 megawatts. It's really brought new life to the sector. So ORMAT has been looking at this and has had a pipeline of projects for the last decade and is ready to go after this. But we're seeing large load-serving entities or investor-owned utilities who have geothermal who are now looking at hey, can we expand our geothermal assets? We know there's going to be a market. Let's go after this. We're seeing the oil and gas industry in California saying, we're not drilling as many oil and gas wells. Let's look at geothermal. And so some of these huge companies, you know, like Halliburton and others are saying, let's get into this sector. Can we drive down prices? Can we bring new innovation? And so all of this is really culminating in a very exciting time. It's going to be a pivot point 
for the sector in America moving forward. Ormat does business around the world. We have equipment in 31 countries around the world. We own and operate just over a gigawatt of generation. When business slows down in Kenya or Indonesia, you know, we've been able to bounce around to Turkey or Central America. And right now, you know, our full attention is on domestic U.S. geothermal development, which is really unparalleled because we see this market being a very fast mover. So can you move fast enough to meet the demand? Well, that's a great question, Mark. And I think as the initial demand in California will be about a thousand megawatts by 2026. Now, you know, your typical politician says, I'm going to not worry about geothermal for the last decade and then say, I need a thousand megawatts. It's going to take time for the industry to ramp up. Ormat, we will be able to deliver, we believe, about 350 megawatts of that. So there's still a huge need to meet that interim goal. And I would just focus that it, the interim goal is a mandate for these utilities by 2026. In addition to that, the larger Public Utilities Commission has said, we need to continue to look at geothermal beyond 2026 to 2030 and are looking at 1100 megawatts in their next planning cycle. So as people ramp up, can we meet it? The answer is absolutely yes. The question will be on timing, permitting and transmission and interconnection. Let's come back to the, those issues separately. But what does that mean for Ormat? If you're able to fill 350 some odd or thereabouts megawatts of it right now, does that mean there's room for other players to come in? Are there other players that can meet that demand? Or does it mean Ormat's going to double down and go crazy on exploration in the next few years to try to meet it themselves? I would say all of the above. Geothermal development is tricky, and we typically give a short forecast because when we talk about the megawatts, we're a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. And when we talk about what we're going to bring online, we want to have our permits in place, our interconnection. We want to have drilled on the resource and be incredibly confident that when we say we're adding 30 or 50 megawatts, it's real. It's not perspective of if we get out there, we think this. And that, that kind of sets us apart. But we will try to get more drilling rigs, use more third-party rigs, look at more leases, you know, more opportunities. Ormat is a vertically integrated company. So we design and manufacture our equipment. We own and operate our own drill rigs. We own and operate our own power plants. We have our own BD group. And this has worked really well for us. As we try to grow, you know, we may look to expand outside of that. But in addition to that, we need all these other developers. And Ormat sits in a unique position because we also sell equipment to third parties. So if large developers like Cirque or startups like Fervo or Enel, we're thrilled because that could be more third-party sales equipment for us to help them deliver these zero emission power plants of the future and meet these targets and help electrify America and reduce carbon. That list was really interesting to me. Cirque, I know, you know, they've got some plants online. Fervo, not quite yet producing megawatts to the grid or selling megawatts to the grid. Enel, active in many other places in the world. So are you seeing more companies come back to the U.S. market for geo? I know that Turkey is active. I know Indonesia, Kenya, you know, all these different places are, are quite active for geo. But are companies actively coming back to the U.S. that you can see? You know, I don't want to speak for them directly. I hope they are. I think we have had some kind of, you know, initial conversations with some folks to say, could we expand these projects? Could we meet some of these interim targets and want to kind of kick off those discussions? So I would say those discussions are starting. I hope they increase. And I would imagine, you know, with these orders in California, I think it would be hard for companies not to seriously start looking at domestic U.S. geothermal development again and uh, the pricing and bringing it to fruition. All of those companies, you know, were pioneers in the sector and said, we're going to do it, you know, including 
some of the first geothermal projects were brought on by oil and gas companies in Southern California during the oil embargo. So this kind of a reawakening of that. What's different is it's not trying to prove a new resource or you know, take advantage of a tax credit or something to that effect. It is if as a country we are trying to reduce our carbon footprint and achieve higher penetrations of renewable energy, geothermal has to be there because it's you hit the nail on the head earlier. Try to name another resource that has a 100% capacity factor, zero emissions, can provide power when the sun's not shining, when the wind's not blowing, and you need this to back it up. I don't think it's going to be a blip on the market map. It's going to be you know, something that's just required moving forward. To comment on that 100% capacity factor, I know we're going to have people listening that are going to say, oh, come on, 100%. All right. I rounded up. It's, it's about 95%, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was I was at a plant once though in Java in Indonesia, and there was a monitor that was constantly looking at the capacity factor of the plant. And on the day I was there, it was measuring 118 percent. So it was overproducing that day. So I mean, it is it is possible, right? You know, without getting too technical, I mean, I think if you have a good wonky listeners who want to focus on that, so we typically set our capacity on the output of the facility for the first couple months of operation. So what sets geothermal again is a little bit of a unique animal, meaning we have rotating equipment. And so when we design a turbine, like the engine in your car, we design it to engineering specs that are about 150% of what we expect. Meaning if we expect the power plant to produce 30 megawatts, you know, we may have a turbine there that could do 45. Does that mean our capacity factor is that? We can argue about it. We say no. We set that capacity to say we're going to produce 30 megawatts, you know, on average annually, 8,760 hours a year, and we're going to meet that within 10 to 15%. And all of our power purchase agreements do that. And that's just because we have to get the power plant up and operating. The turbine doesn't determine the output. It's the flow of the geothermal wells. It's the size of the heat exchangers, whether they're air-cooled or water-cooled. So all of this goes into that design point. But we've been really successful. And I think if you look in the U.S. at the format specifically, our compliance with power purchase agreements, when we tell a company we're going to provide 30 or 50 megawatts, we hit that number on the head. And when you talk about overproducing, you could do that in the winter, for example, because we air cool the facility. So the Delta T goes way up in the winter, goes down in the summer. We try to hit that annual average exactly. So we've talked a bit about demand. We've talked a bit about supply. We've talked about partnering and other companies getting involved. Let's shift to pricing for a second. So I heard recently that you guys did kind of a reverse, reverse auction where utilities were bidding into you because they needed to meet some of this target in California. Is that right? It is. It was something we just did for the first time in Ormat's history. Very exciting. So maybe I'll take a step back and just explain, you know, the typical growth for geothermal has been, we look to develop a power plant. We know we're going to need an off taker. So then we start to bid geothermal into requests for proposals with utilities. And that has been you know, complicated because we're not quite a solar power plant. So when we're competing just on the price of energy, we tend to be more expensive because there's more value to having capacity in RECs. When we compete against fossil resources, we're kind of unique because it's renewable and we're having to drill wells. And so we were always kind of in this unique area. 
But we've been successful. We would bid one plant and we would win a power purchase agreement and that would free up funding to go to develop that project. And so we had a very incremental approach. About five years ago, what ORMAT did was say, we're going to bid a portfolio of projects. So we went to the Los Angeles Division of Water and Power through SCAPA and said, we're going to offer you 150 megawatts. It's going to come from some combination of these power plants. We're guaranteeing that. You know, it allows us flexibility on permitting. And we signed that PPA. And that was really a paradigm shift for the the sector because we weren't beholden to one plant. If one power project got slowed down by permitting or sage grouse, we could speed up another one. And it released the full power of our resource team to say, we're not just working on one project and then another in serial progression. We said, it's time to go and start developing all of these simultaneously. Take a step forward to today is we have projects that are coming online. And instead of trying to bid into these RFPs or hoping one will come out in February, we said, We're going to put this out to market that we have 30 megawatts that meets this interim order. It's 80% capacity factor, zero on-site emissions. Here's its interconnection points. We have transmission and capacity. It can deliver power by 2022. Who's interested? And we got, you know, lots and lots of proposals. And it was uh, exciting to see those come in. And the pricing, you know, was kind of in line with what we thought. But we saw this kind of upward push to say this is a unique asset. We are in need of these things. And that's a game changer for someone who's worked in the sector for over a decade, always trying to fight and guessing at what we should bid blindly and and maybe underpricing ourselves. And so that kind of intel is going to be great. And I think that coupled with portfolios moving forward is what will let the geothermal industry meet some of these aggressive goals is to say, we're going to offer you hundreds of megawatts. It's going to come from multiple plants. We're going to have as many drillers and resource guys working as fast as possible and deliver a quality product. And so that's, it's a very fascinating time. I think we're seeing an upward push on the pricing for capacity. I was telling someone the other day, geothermal might be a unique word, and I'm trying to always kind of play around with the lexicon, but we are really an emission-free capacity resource. And if you think of it that way, it really changes the discussion in my mind because everyone's talking about batteries, 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 and they're brilliant. And batteries can you know, supply two hours or four hours or six hours. We're talking long-term duration batteries at eight hours. Well, geothermal is really a long-term duration battery. We can supply 24 hours of storage if you want because we can cycle. And with new technology, we can run the plant just on parasitic load. We can ramp up faster than a combined cycle natural gas plant. We can provide VARs and ancillary benefits. And so that's the new world. And I think if you value capacity through storage or batteries you should really take a fresh look at geothermal and say, this is a capacity resource. I was saying, ORMAT is really positioned as just an emission-free capacity company. We are very focused on battery storage and geothermal. And those two together act very similar when utilities are trying to put together uh, solutions to supplying carbon-free power to ratepayers. So I was 2007, I went on this trip out to Nevada And I met a contractor that was working for ORMAT at the time, actually, who was out going to do an exploration of a site. And so I I met up with him in this place called, I think, Hawthorne, Nevada, out in the middle of nowhere. We drove in his truck for like, it felt like a year. Then we crossed some fence. We crawled in his truck for another 10 miles. And then we got to this place and he's like, you know what? I genuinely would say, in all honesty, we're the first people here in 50 years, you know, to this site. I was like, okay, cool. Well... 
that begs the question, you know, and there was hot springs all around, you know, and there was this old rusted truck from the 30s. But that begs the question, like, okay, so how do you connect the power from these sites to the grid? Tell me a bit about transmission and how you guys think about that and how you solve for that. I won't condone your trespassing of hopping over fences, but I'll be happy to discuss. Uh, <laughs> well, it was a game. We drove oh, okay, through. fair enough. Good. <laughs> Look, transmission and capacity are going to be the next discussion for geothermal for energy and probably for electrification in the nation. Big picture, you know, I'm thrilled that the Build Back Better plan passed and has a huge focus on transmission and interconnection. And that is going to, again, help, you know, be a tailwind for the geothermal industry because everything I've talked about up until now is happening regardless of federal support. So now let's talk about the, the kind of transmission. So, you know, I think there's no quicker way to stifle electrification or moving to 100% renewables than not having transmission capacity for that. So we need to build it out. For geothermal specifically, we have been able to pay for and finance transmission because of our high capacity factor, meaning when we want to use that transmission line, we're not using it a third of the time or two thirds of the time. We're going to use it you know, 95% of the time. And so we are able to finance it and we've been successful in building it. Now, huge transmission lines, if we want to start moving hundreds or thousands of megawatts from Nevada to California or from California to Arizona, we need to look at some of these larger transmission lines and build outs. And I think the California independent system operator in California is starting to figure that out. They are realizing that as they build out the Western Interconnect or WEC, Transmission has been, you know, the forgotten child, if you will. And so we are looking at that seriously. One thing I'll bring up for your listeners is I think we can also be smarter about our existing transmission. And so I think a thoughtful allocation of our existing transmission is important. What do I mean by that? As we are seeing coal plants retired or natural gas plants retired, they use transmission with a very high capacity factor, meaning they use that power all the time. If we quickly take that transmission and then give it to an intermittent resource that consumes it but only uses it a third of the time, we can inefficiently you know, consume or reserve a lot of transmission. And so what the geothermal industry has been advocating for is to say, if you're replacing a 90 or 85% capacity coal plant, you should look at high capacity resources to replace that that have zero emissions so that we are using our current infrastructure as efficiently as possible and then build out to the intermittent stuff or even look at, and without getting too into the details, you know, how we reserve transmission capacity today is a bit antiquated. You know, we say, what are you going to do? We block this for you on the line, regardless of whether you use it or not. And that is inefficient. And if we can have smart people looking at this and making it more efficient, I think, A, we can use our existing infrastructure much better while we are building out new infrastructure to alleviate any transmission or interconnection roadblocks. You said that's in the Build Back Better bill or law, I guess now. Is that the most impactful part of it for you or is there something else? I think there are three big parts that I would focus on in Build Back Better. One, you know, the investment tax credit has been huge in, in leveling the playing field for geothermal with all renewable industries. So having the ITC in the Build Back Better plan is fantastic. Having it refundable has made it much more meaningful to developers. Again, the previous tax credit, you had to have a you know a very large tax appetite to recognize it, or you had to go to banks to monetize it and you lost some value and it was difficult. And if you were a startup, on and on and on. Turning that into a cash option or refundable 
will be huge. I think it can lower the cost for geothermal development significantly. I think it will put more money in the pocket of developers to quickly turn around and reinvest that money in what we talked about earlier, more drilling, more projects, instead of waiting two years to negotiate and try to get that money back from a third party and go from there. The next one is maybe a little less direct, but it's the focus of the administration on renewable projects and permitting. So the other issue, a lot of our projects are on public lands in the West. And I think prioritizing renewable development over oil and gas and you know, seeing the priorities of this bill and then saying, we need to move these projects to the top of the to-do list for our friends of the Bureau of Land Management, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, U.S. Forest Service, on and on. Those three things are what's really going to unlock massive geothermal potential in the Western United States, which is the ITC transmission and streamlining of permitting. You know, there are some other bills pending, you know, to enhance the categorical exclusion. There's a representative Rich and Fulcher looking at this to allow us to go explore kind of like oil and gas. I was reading a report that oil and gas wells tend to get permitted within 90 to 100 days. It takes us about 12 to 24 months to get an exploration permit currently from some of these folks. So if we could cut that that timing down, you unleash the full geothermal potential. And I think the Department of Energy geothermal program had a, a study called GeoVision, and it talks about if you can reduce this permitting timeline, the amount of geothermal you can do just grows exponentially and gets into the gigawatts very, very fast. What's a bigger challenge? Is it technical? Is it exploration and drilling and all that? Or is it simply permitting? You know, it's a good, it's a great question. And it's a bit chicken and egg, I would say. You know, if you ask me what the biggest hurdle today would, I would say bringing the capital to the industry to see, you know, kind of a quantum change in interest. Once that occurs and we see projects, you know, in many, many states in the West, we see more representatives calling the Bureau of Land Management. And I think we start to see a greater emphasis on streamlining these projects and getting them permitted and moving the needle that way. That's why I'm so excited to talk to you today, really, which is that has changed with a demand for a thousand megawatts in the near term, thousands of megawatts in planning cycles moving forward. I think the more players we get, the more projects we see in Utah, Idaho, Alaska, Hawaii, the federal government, our representatives will take notice. They'll start, you know, paying attention, working harder on this. We'll see those streamlined projects. And I think, frankly, the market will drive it. When we see geothermal projects applying this unbelievable needed zero emission capacity being part of the solution, the rest of it starts to fall in line. You mentioned the oil and gas firms, you know, calling you up and all that stuff. You know, I've been reading that you see interest from tech companies like Google and et cetera, that are interested in, in geothermal development. But has the money caught up? Have you been getting calls from banks as well? Say, hey, here's your portfolio of projects. Can I fund it? <laughs> or, or has it gone the other way? So I'll, I'll try to hit all three of those. So yes, you know, I think Baker Hughes and Halliburton and big oil and gas majors have said, look, there's a future here. If you think they're good at what they do and identifying kind of early movers, they've joined the Geothermal Trade Association. They're helping these uh, startup firms drill these wells. They want to shift their business into that sector. I think both from a kind of a redistribution of uh, work so they don't have to just shut down all their oil and gas stuff in California or move it all to Texas, and also a true interest in, there's a high you know, return on this for them if they can get into doing this business uh, to support third-party work. 
Number two, for a long time, we've kind of seen CNI, commercial and industrial customers interested in baseload power, meaning we want to run our server farms off of a capacity-free resource. And they've been doing that with a mix of buying solar credits and looking at natural gas and kind of offsetting each other. And I think board members and firms are becoming more sophisticated and saying, no, we truly want to be zero carbon, not just buying the RECs today. And that is making geothermal more enticing to them. So we have seen a lot of interest from CNI customers, both you know large mining firms, data uh, server farms, et cetera, saying, this is compelling. The price is uh, you know, in the wheelhouse. Let's have those discussions. The good problem today is that investor-owned utilities or huge uh, users of electricity are going to put upward pricing pressure. So uh, that, that'll be interesting to see that, but it's a good problem to have. I think I know this, but what are you most excited about? Oh, what am I most excited about? Um, yeah. You know, I, I think, what am I most excited about? I mean, is it just having a big pipeline, you know, to fill this thousand thousand megawatt, you know, order, or is it new tech? I'll give you a long-winded answer. You can tell us what I do. Please do. <laughs> um, I think I'm excited <laughs> to see geothermal, or let's call it, you know, capacity emission-free capacity resources get the recognition, you know, that I've thought it deserved for a long time. As you started this, uh, you know, pod, you said we've been doing this for over a decade, almost two. These technologies to me have always been incredibly compelling and a solution. And to see that being recognized on a broad scale at the investor-owned utility level and at the finance level, and then getting to work for a company that recognized that when we were founded in 1965 to today is the most exciting part. Part two is to see all of the innovation coming in, you know, to see the firms like Greenfire and Fervo and Evor and all these people looking at exciting subsurface resource work. I'll tell you, you know, Ormat has for decades said, you know, the game changing moment, the paradigm shift, whatever you want to call it, is going to be in the subsurface, meaning we know how to make steam turbines. We know how to make binary turbines. People like GE and Ormet have been doing that a long time, and we've made them about as efficient as humanly possible. The shift will come when something exciting happens subsurface, and to see those smaller innovative firms, the large Halliburtons and Baker Hughes coming back, I'm excited to see something subsurface shift that really unleashes a potential of these capacity emission-free resources or geothermal moving forward that we never thought. And I think that time could be now, which is, you know, Ormat's going to continue chasing these typical hydrothermal reservoirs and resources. But boy, I could see in the next couple of years that all being completely different and the power plants being completely different and creating a carbon-free solution to really meet the goals at COP26 and at the World Geothermal Congress. And um, couldn't be more thrilled to be where I am today working in this industry. Sounds great. Paul, it sounds like U.S. Geothermal is open for business. Today's episode of Switched On was edited by Rex Warner of Greystoke Media. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability as a result of this recording that expressly disclaims. 
To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.